Hello, my friends, and welcome to the latest episode of Fearless Questions, where we follow our questions to freedom. Today, we are lucky to have best-selling author, speaker, and coach Jeff Goins with us. Jeff, how are you doing? Hey, Jeff. Good to be here. We are Jeff Squared today. <laughs> we are. We are indeed. Hey, uh, now, for those of you who don't know who Jeff is, like I said, he's a New York Times best-selling author. Um, he's also... Uh, a writing coach. He's got a successful online training program called Tribe Writers, which is how I first got connected with Jeff. And um, just an all-around awesome guy. But um, through, uh, as the fearless question is getting started, hopefully in the near future we'll hear more from Jeff. But Jeff, you said you've been so kind. I don't know if you said that about yourself, but you are being so I did. kind. <laughs> I actually did say that. I said I was being extremely kind, generous. That's another word I used as well. <laughs> um, but you're going to help me out because um, as I'm starting out, some people kind of know a little bit about me, but they don't really know the whole story about how Fearless Questions came to be. And we thought it'd be a good idea to kind of let you interview me today. So, you know, uh, this is the chance you, if you've ever been wanting to pretend you're on NPR, you know, channel your inner Malcolm Gladwell, try and make me sound sophisticated and maybe a little enigmatic. You could go for that. <laughs> I've always wanted to be on NPR. So this is the realization of a lifelong dream for me. Thank you. I'm glad I could help facilitate that. <laughs> <laughs> the so, honor is all yours. <laughs> I am the wind beneath your wings. Okay, Jeff, why don't you take it away and steal away my runaway train here, will you? Sure. Yeah. So I've got some questions for you that you gave me, but I'm going to ditch those and ask better questions. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, I think this is fun. You know, you're the question asker. I love the theme of this show. I, I love um, what you're doing with it. And um, and it's, it's an honor to ask the question asker uh, my own fearless questions. So, um, Jeff... Let's begin uh, for your listeners. Tell us a little bit of your background so we can understand more of your story and where you're coming from. Yeah, great. Well, just real quickly, I mean, a lot of my, a lot of my growing up was just a lot of church, a lot of sports, a lot of music, and a lot of fun. <laughs> I didn't always, I didn't really always see how my two worlds went together, my faith and my just my regular life went together. Um, so I sort of lived two compartmentalized lives. Um, growing up then Young Life is an organization that became pretty important for me and starting to sort of own my own faith, um, as limited as it, as it might've been. Uh, I always knew a lot of people. I enjoyed leadership and being a part of teams, but really had no clue what I was, um, looking to do with my life. So, uh, yeah, not very inspiring so far, but then I just picked up a business degree, had no idea why I was going to college, but I played a little tennis there, and uh, right after getting a business degree, decided I was going to be a youth worker um, because I just liked students, liked working with teenagers, and uh, did that for a number of years, took a couple breaks because nobody in youth ministry gets paid any money, apparently, and uh, so I got into finance briefly, uh, and then was about to take a job up in Chicago, well, did take it, and then um, had one of these uh, really rare experiences in my life where I felt like God had um, was speaking to me and saying, I'm not done with you yet in the whole youth worker scene. So walked away from that, um, probably a little crazy. Um, I know others thought it was, and it might have been. But um, yeah, I got back into youth work, um, earned a master's degree in youth ministry, and 
just kept on serving students and and um, in some capacities, and then at some point went on to study theology and Christian apologetics at Oxford University over in the UK. And uh, after that, came back to the Midwest. So Jody and I and our three kids, uh, we landed here in Indianapolis, which is where I'm at now. So how's that for a flyby? It's good. It's a good story. Um, now we're going to sort of dig into some of the different pieces. And one of the things that I actually don't know much about and I've always been fascinated about, so I, it's fun to be able to ask you this, yeah. is about your stint in Oxford, which is something that you just sort of you know glossed over. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated about that for lots of reasons, but I read this book uh, recently about the Inklings, you know, C.S. Lewis, yeah. J.R.R. Tolkien, and I was like, wow, this seems like a really cool place. I'd always heard of Oxford, uh, but when I was reading about their, you know, experiences in the early 20th century of getting together and talking about life and literature and theology, I was like, wow, this sounds like a, a cool, just a cool town to, um, uh, you know, a, a neat uh, seen to be a part of. So uh, unpack that a little bit more. Um, what happened for you in Oxford? Well, in Oxford, I, you know, that's a big, that's a big question, actually. Um, it, it really is a tremendously uh, beautiful place. Um, it's a very historic place. Um, you are, you do go to certain places like the, the Eagle and Child um, pub or the Bird and Babe, as they might call it, and yeah. and you sit in there, and you, you know you you grab a pint with a with a mate, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking, huh, this really is where where Clive and you know, Jr. when Tolkien were, were sitting there, um, and so it, you know there is a sense of uh, awe that you're like, wow, really, a real sense of privilege, I guess I'd say that to get to study there and and um, and to think and learn so much. What were you hoping to find there? You know, I wasn't I wasn't positive, uh, but but a driving force was uh, the truth. Um, mm. I had I really just wanted to know. I had questions that had lingered in my own heart um, that had uh, just frustrated me. They weren't things that I could necessarily articulate um, clearly, but they were these things going on in my soul that were just just discomforts, I guess you could say, or I just wasn't at ease with what I was telling other people because I was, you know, in a position of, of um, theological leadership in people's lives, I guess you could say. And uh, when you're when you're coaching people in life and you're not comfortable, fully comfortable yourself in everything that you're sharing, that's probably not a good good place to be. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was I had kind of read and listened to everybody I thought I could. Um, and I thought, well, if, if Oxford, if I can get there, there's like some of the brightest minds in the world. And I just wanted to test what I'd kind of come to believe, um, God was like and, and, uh, the Christian faith and other worldviews. I just kind of wanted to test the limits of what, what was true and what held up to, uh, scrutiny and what didn't. And can you unpack that specifically? So you had like what were specific questions that you had and, and you said you were looking for the truth and you were looking to find the things that held up and then did not, which, which things held up and which things did not. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, what God is like was a big one for me. Um, you know, um, not to dive too deep in, um, 
um, you know, like I don't want to drag people through all the theological conversations, but just the nature of what motivates people about God. Um, so much of of my Christian life, my faith journey, however you want to say it, um, no one intended to teach it to me this way, and I wouldn't have ever said that it was at the time. I wouldn't have said it this way, but really, fear was the primary motivator. Um, mm-hmm. the fear of people burning in hell for all eternity, the fear mm-hmm. of, um, one of the things that I say quite often was really the biggest question of all for me is I knew that God loved me because what I understood about God was that he had to, I mean, he was God, he created everything. He loves me, but I really had no idea if God liked me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I lived this really kind of back and forth cycle of, you know, you go to the altar, you ask for forgiveness, um, and however your faith tradition does, and then you go back out, you live your life, you screw up, you get in this place of shame, you crawl back to God, woe is me, you know, and you stay there long enough till you feel like God can finally get over it, and he says, okay, yeah, I guess you're okay now, and get back to it, and do better this time. And uh, that was just a real, that's a very debilitating um, belief system that I think Mm -hmm. um, so many uh, God followers live under as if it's true. And I just, um, it didn't resonate with me anymore. And I, I didn't not believe in God, but I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't resolve that, that God having that nature with everyday life because, uh, I heard so, so much of what you see in like, um, scriptures and Christian tradition and what we hear about God is that this, especially Jesus, um, the life of Jesus, you hear about, God having sent Jesus to share good news to people. And um, frankly, I just wasn't catching the good news. I caught there was mm-hmm. the fire insurance policy that mm-hmm. everybody was selling, and um, but it really did not have, it didn't resonate that it was really affecting people's day-to-day lives. So that was that was a problem for me. Yeah, yeah. I love the, the, the question that you had, which was, um, you know, I knew God loved me, but I wasn't sure that he liked me. And uh, I think a lot of people feel that way. I've certainly struggled with that myself. So, um, like, you just went to Oxford. Um, like, <laughs> h- h- how exactly did that happen? And then let's talk a little bit more about what happened once you got there. Yeah, sure. Well, I, I think that um, I think there was really two kind of primary things that that sort of came together at the same time that operated as the catalyst to get me there. Um, the first was sort of some of the things we've already touched on. It was just this growing discontent with what I saw happening um, in religion. Um, so some of the theological questions like we've talked about, does God like me? But then you also see some of the suffering in the world. You see some of the different worldviews and faith traditions. You know, how could these billions of other people just all be going to hell? There was some inconsistencies for me. Um, and so I was really wrestling with that. Um, but then at the exact same time, um, my marriage kind of hit a crisis point. And so, um, my wife, Jody and I, who, you know, we got three kids, Jody's a gem. If anybody's ever met her, she's just, she's beautiful. She's fun. She's artistic, creative. I mean, genuinely like the best person I know. And we had this perfect life, you know, perfect suburb, nice house, three kids and great schools and all the rest. And then all of a sudden it wasn't perfect. And, um, it kind of came up to the point where everything was perfect and then all of a sudden it wasn't, it was almost over. And, um, and so in the process of, um, I really feel like God intervened and, and, um, rescued us in that. But, uh, we started meeting with these marriage coaches, 
um, who are dear friends of ours now. Um, and, you know, it was a long process, but as we, as we had kind of turned the corner from crisis towards really growing back towards healthy, what healthy relationships look like, um, what freedom starts to look like in that context, they had a really interesting question for us. And they said, um, Hey, you guys, uh, we just wanted to let you know that we're praying that God would help you guys start to dream um, about what's in the future for you, which we thought was a very strange thing to say, but um, I can only mm. assume that they could kind of see that there was something else on the horizon for us. But um, they said, do you want to join us in that? And uh, we said, sure, not having any idea what kind of uh, runaway train that was going to be. Um, and so, yeah, so we did that. We we just started dreaming with them. Um, and as that process started, Jody just said to me, like, hey, Jeff, what's on your calendar that you get you get really excited about, like that you're looking forward to. And, you know, there was a lot of things in my calendar that I liked. It was like, hey, this is good stuff, but I wasn't pumped up for it. But I'd signed up for this. Uh, Ravi Zacharias is this sort of Christian apologetics guy who really yeah. digs, digs into philosophy and science and, you know, kind of world stuff. And, and I was going to go to this summer school, this one-week summer school up in Chicago. And she said, that's it. That's the most exciting thing you can think of. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, they have like this six or eight week program down in Atlanta for business people. I mean, that would be pretty cool, but we could never do that. Get away for two months. She's like, that's it. That's your, that's your dream. And I said, well, if we're doing this dream kind of dream sequence, you know, uh, there is this year long program in Oxford, but where you get wow. to kind of go study with like, you know, 20 other people from around the world and with the world's smartest minds and, just like, I mean, how amazing would that be to just be, you know, saturated in that kind of deep thought and conversation? And and I said, but that could never happen for so many reasons, job, you know, life, school, houses, all the stuff. And I said, so that could never happen. And she just simply said, well, why not? And, um, you know, so that was the next step. So we just kept going. And mm-hmm. so we just kind of took, um, we just kind of took a baby step and decided to apply, which was you know, kind of ridiculous, but I thought, you know what, I'm never going to get into Oxford, but I'll just give it a shot. And, uh, so I had to read some books and write some essays and a bunch of paperwork and, uh, just submitted it. And we thought, you know what, we didn't tell people, we told our coaches and then, um, one coworker, uh, a friend, uh, that was a coworker of mine and, um, who's also a good friend and that's it. That's the only people that knew. And so we just kind of said, we put it out there and so, you know, we didn't expect to hear anything. Well, it, it was maybe, and this is kind of a bizarre story that I wouldn't believe if I hadn't lived it, but, uh, you know, this is maybe two weeks later, something like that. And I'm I'm working at a church at the time, and uh, I come out of my office, and these, you know, we had a school at the building also. We were kind of helping bring in some risers for a spring program, and there's kind of a group of guys over there, and this guy is giving me a weird look. I've never met this guy before. I don't know who he is. And he kind of corners me later uh, in the afternoon and uh, just start saying, hey, do you work here? And I'm trying to avoid him because I don't want some random um, guy with a theological you know, gripe or wants to argue with me, like make me defend Christianity. So I was trying to avoid him, but he kind of cornered me accidentally as I'm leaving. He says, hey, could I talk to you? I say, sure, what's it about? He says, well, when I saw you walking into the sanctuary a little bit ago, the Lord told me you were going to be going overseas. And I just like, who the Sam Hill are you? Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I just like, and honestly, I, I got my phone out and I said, do you mind if I record whatever you say next? Because I'm going to have to go home and talk to my wife and uh. <laughs> I'm going to forget whatever comes next because I'm so wow. like, 
um, you know, this is only a couple of weeks after we had applied. Yeah. And so anyway, he just went on to, I don't, I've never really operated in those circles where people share words of prophecy and all that stuff. But, you know, I didn't know the guy and he just stops me and he starts saying some things for like five minutes. It's just, it's like, you know, this guy's reading my journal or something, you know, it's, it's really crazy. And um, just wraps up and we kind of say, well, I don't know what we do about that. But then like two or three weeks later, I get a call from some different guy who I'd met one time at a business luncheon. And uh, he says, hey, can I get together with you? Sure, you know. And uh, we're sitting at a coffee shop for 45 minutes. I have no idea why we're there. He's just telling me story after story. And I finally say, hey, can I ask you a question? Why are we here? He says, well, and he slides a check across the table. And he says, a a pretty significant amount of money. And um, where commas were involved. And he says, I don't know. I just felt God was telling me that I was supposed to give you guys this money. And I was like, what? I was so confused. He says, but the thing that made me feel better is he said, well, God actually told me to do this like five weeks ago, but, um, but I said, I don't want to give money to that guy, which I totally appreciated because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have wanted to give money to me either. But, uh, but he said, God told me again this morning. So I just knew that that's what I was supposed to do. And so this, I mean, I don't, maybe that happens to you all the time, but strangers don't come give me money ever so yeah it does actually happen to me all the time but i'm glad to hear that you're in the <laughs> in the club the, the now. check the checks the checks with commas club now the ccc <laughs> checks with commas yeah <laughs> well so anyway that just began so we hadn't even heard back from oxford yet so but we just began planning and and kind of getting ready as as if we might leave even though we hadn't heard and then uh, around april of that year um I got an acceptance letter into the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, um, but that's not the same as getting in because there's two programs there. And so I right. hadn't, um, unless I was accepted into Oxford University, then, then it would be kind of mute um, of doing the other one. So mm. so we're just kind of like waiting, waiting. In the meantime, we have not that much time to get ready to you know to leave. And we have a realtor over, who was another friend, and kind of talking about maybe renting the house. And, and we're sitting there at the table and it, we're just talking. She's... You know, she's straight to the point all the time, and we're kind of dragging our feet, you know, emotional. And she says, she just looks at us and says, how free do you want to be? And Jody and I aren't saying a word. We just kind of look at each other and start crying, you know. And our poor realtor's like, what did I say? You know, we're just trying to sell a house here. And um, so, yeah, that was kind of a turning point, too. So we decided we are going to put our house on the market, started selling a bunch of our stuff. Um, still didn't know if we were getting into Oxford, but we felt like God was telling us to go, so we were doing it. Uh, it's July now. We're like in Florida for kind of a family vacation. And our last night there, we, um, we get a email notifying that but I got accepted by Oxford. And then it got crazy too, cause there was a new UK visa program that was going to change in two days and it was going to be a holiday weekend. So basically we had to leave vacation early and I think we, it was either Alabama, but I think it was in Nashville maybe that we had to leave vacation early, take the family there to get our to get our visa applications submitted. Otherwise the family was not going to be able to come with me. Um, so that left us like six weeks to sell off a lot of our stuff, um, pack the stuff we wanted to keep into storage and just say a lot of really painful goodbyes to good friends and, and family. Um, and even other crazy stuff. And I hope if you don't mind me to sharing this wacky line of things that happened to us. Um, yeah. And I, and I share them partly just to let you know that if these kind of things hadn't happened, I don't know if I would have had the courage to go, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know. I guess I do kind of think it was God, but I know there's regular people's decisions involved too and all this. But um, So we had planned to keep 
one of our vehicles, this minivan. I mean, we had a family of five, you know, and active kids. And But Jody and I have been talking and just felt like, I don't know, maybe we should get rid of that too. Because we didn't know what we were going to do after after Oxford. And um, so it's about a, you know, a week before leaving. And one of our sons was having a, a last friends get together at a miniature golf place in town and get a call from uh, from my uncle. And he's like, hey, I got this uh, friend at work. So he's looking for a van. You guys going to be selling yours when you leave? And I said, well, we weren't going to, but I'll talk. He's like, well, we'll be there in like 20 minutes. So they come over to the putt-putt place. The guy says, how much you want? I have no idea. I just get on my phone, look at Blue Book. I'm like, how about that? And he offered me like, you know, $100 less or something. I'm like, sure. And I swear to you, we end up driving the van to the airport along with other people because we had like 21 suitcases, like 15 completely overweight suitcases involved with that too. This guy is just standing at the airport door like 6 a.m. And we'd already gave him the title. And I just, as we're walking to the airport, we just threw him the keys and left it behind. And he was like, thanks. And it's just, mm-hmm. cr- we get in there and we got, you know, just crazy amounts of luggage. We're, it's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, we're tired. We've been up all night packing with friends. And some guy from Delta who we just call him our angel, this guy sees us uh, sitting over there with some friends waiting to kind of check ourselves in because we feel like that's going to be our last goodbye. And this guy just walks over and says, how are you guys doing? And, you know, let me help you out here. He just starts checking our bags in. We didn't even go through line. He just started checking them in. And I'm telling you, there was so many fines that Delta lost that day because <laughs> there's no way that those bags were legally weighted. But, um, yeah. yeah, it was just crazy. And then he says, hey, what about your friends here? They want to go to the gate with you? I was like, I don't think you can do that post 9-11. <laughs> yeah, like, right. And he just says, this is my airline, you know. And oh. um, he's like, well, it's me and God do this stuff. I mean, this guy's never met me before. He didn't know what we're going there to do. And it was crazy, mm-hmm. man. So he let our we he let friends. I mean, they had to show their ID, but he like got them back to the gate with us and yeah. It was just crazy. So we basically moved everything there, and uh, we effectively moved all our chips into the center of the table. I mean, we were we were all in. So wow, it's an incredible story. Um, now I don't want to take away from the you know like what actually happened once you got there, but just the process of getting there must have been a lot of confirmation. You felt like uh, you know God was leading you to go to this amazing place, and then all these things happened that that seemed to confirm it by the time you got on the plane what were you thinking like were you thinking like this is like i'm on my way to my destiny like was it exciting scary nervous i mean how are you feeling i so wish that's how it was that would be oh oh my gosh that would have been so much better (laughs) no it was i cried almost the whole time i thought oh really i felt like i just killed my family like i literally our seats were like the two kids it was like you know, on the far left, I can, I mean, I, I'm, I could be there in a second in my mind. I got the two kids, the older two, then Jody and my youngest next to her. And I'm like a row behind them into the middle, sitting next to this guy who clearly was like in a startup rock band and hadn't showered in like three days. He's wearing a tank top and like, you know, neon glow sunglasses from, from 88 and just smelled so bad. And my TV's broken out of my in-flight, you know, so I'm just like staring there and Jody just kept looking back at me and I'm just, I'm just like broken. I'm like, what have I done? I mean, what, this has only been like six months, you know, since, excuse me, since we decided to go and no, so it was not exciting. I thought, what have I done? This whole faith thing is, it seemed really cool when I would tell people the stories as they were happening and they were like, this is amazing. I'm like, this is so amazing. I got on the plane, like, what have I done? So (laughs) yeah, even when you get there and, um, you know, and it's like 
we think, oh, everybody says just take the tube or, you know, one of the, the two buses. Well, you get there and yeah, that's great. But no one else is as stupid as we were to bring so many bags and the bus is just looking at us <laughs> saying, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> so wow. one of the other miracles was this guy, uh, uh, Muhammad, and he had a private rental thing, which that was an hour and a half finding anybody who would take it. And he says, I'll fit you in. He had like sort of an extended minivan. And I'm telling you, it is, I, to this day, I do not know the physics of how all our luggage went in there, except we were laying on top of each other. And we didn't even have the key to our place. He, he drove us all the way to Oxford. He's like, where's, where do we need to go? And I had no idea. It was just, I knew Maudlin College. I didn't even know there was a difference between actually this, this elementary school and the, the university version. But mm-hmm. yeah, so it was crazy. Absolutely crazy. And then we went to Pizza Hut of all places. Um, and we'll never forget that either because it was the only thing we recognized. We put our bags down, went there, and then we just all sat around there half asleep from jet lag and cried some more, man. That's all we did. We cry so much easier now. It's not even funny. Like, we, <laughs> we can cry at anything now. Yeah. yeah. And it, remind me, how old were your kids when, when you guys left? Well, I want to say maybe um, – I want to say they were like 14, 12, and, 14, 12 and um, maybe 10. I know that I know that Luke turned 13 while we were there. And Olivia was already, so she was going in ninth, so she's probably 14, going on 15 or something. Right. Um, so they were all right in that, like, that age of students when it's like your friends are the most important thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, I can't say that they were like, oh, dear father, thank you so much for <laughs> for taking us on this adventure with you. It's so nice. No, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't like that at all. It was like, I basically, I got some not so kind comments, but you know what? Yeah. It was... Um, turned out all right um it would have been great if they would have acquired british accents that quickly <laughs> they did they did oh, actually did, they're did gone they really? they're gone now but there's still there's still things that uh carry over um you know that's good yeah there's good. there's things about the culture we we dearly loved uh, it there and we have dear yeah. friends still there and um uh, yeah we almost stayed actually at the end we not really? to jump ahead but yeah we uh we came very close to staying but it just didn't seem right at the time so yeah, yeah. So that's how you got there, mm-hmm. you know. That's how you got to crying at Pizza Hut, and, and <laughs> after crying us, on the plane, yeah, yeah, crying on the plane, cry at Pizza Hut. Mm. And tell us about that. It was a year, right? That next year yeah. of uh, time in Oxford. Yeah. Um, well, there's really no perfect way to explain it. Um, you know, there were, like we said, there was the tears, but um, it, it's one of those things where some people will describe it as uh, going camping with with your family like um it's a lot of pain but at the same time you're going to get close whether you want to be or not um so that was that was great but there was um when i said earlier there's kind of these two lives that i had to live over there one was the academic which was really you know quite intense and time intensive and um you know you know mentally exhausting if not physically just from the work but then i had this whole other life with jody we were trying to live where we're trying to get our kids in schools and learning about the different schools we had to one instance that I'll you know Jody and I will never forget is um the older two got put in a, in a not good school um we were just late the catchment area for the nice school was full they got put in this really junky one where um and Luke came home one day and said you know this kid had their leg broken or something by someone getting hit with a table and we're like this is not going to work out so yeah we had to learn the court system so we had to go stand at a you know, a, a local council court and advocate for our kids to change schools to this, um, this other school that was much better, a little bit out in the country, close on the edge of the Cotswolds, which is beautiful. But, um, 
it's just it's hard to explain to somebody what that feels like to be standing. It's hard enough doing the legal system here in the States, but um, not that it's so much crazier there, but just, you don't know the system. And so you're trying to, to advocate for your family in, in those situations. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, we sat, I could tell you, we were sitting on martyrs monument, um, you know, right at the, right in the center of Oxford eating from mission burrito while we, waited to go back and hear the outcome. So that there are these just poignant moments stuck in our mind. But but there's also ridiculous like homeowner kind of things. I mean we were renting in North Oxford, which is ridiculous in and of itself that we decide that's where we're gonna live. But um yeah, I mean you're in North Oxford and somebody stops and knocks on your door, which is unusual, um to let us know that uh <laughs> they they think there's something out front that we might need our attention. And uh, you see a lot of things seeping up through the the gravel car park driveway area and with a very foul smell. And so you've got sewage line breakage under your front uh, sidewalk car park and no idea who to call. So then you start, who do we call? You know, the water company, the public utilities, the police. And, um, and they're all telling you it's somebody else's responsibility. People coming out, looking at you like, you know, everybody's trying to to just pass it to the next person. And I'm just, I can barely figure out the account numbers, you know, cause they're seven, five, double O, double nine, double three with hackney accents. And I just, I was lost. And so it was, it's actually good comedy. I mean, if somebody, you know, looking back now, <laughs> it would actually be pretty hilarious, but it's not funny when your neighbor says, you know, you have shit coming up through your sidewalk. So <laughs> I'm like, I got a paper to write. This is not, there's not time for this right now. Oh uh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Yeah. But it was, it was still amazing though. I mean, it was, you know, cause there was still the academic side really was, you know, even though that stuff was going on, I mean, I was getting to make friends with people from really from all over the world, doctors and scientists and other, you know, missionaries, but from all different countries, you know, Australia, New Zealand, um, Indonesia, Canada, Egypt, I mean, Syria, just everywhere. And so, um, it was, it was really powerful. So it was a, it was a good time. Was was there a point at which I mean you were there just a year, but I mean that's long enough where you kind of stop being a tourist, you know, and you really become a a resident. And um, you know, I, I lived in Spain for a little while, and you know, when you first get there, everything's sort of amazing. Anytime you move to someplace, especially that's like historic, um, a place that you've you know read about or something, and then there's a, there's a point at which it can sort of become normal. Uh, and, and so th- did that happen to you? Like was every day like, oh my gosh, I can't believe w- where I am. Or was there a point at which you started to take for granted your surroundings? I mean, d- did it become normal? Uh, it became home at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that we were so involved with uh, our family life with, I mean, we had, you know, as any parent knows here in the States, you got so many activities at school and, and, um, and then we were we were a part of a church there as well, and um, you know so I think I probably had more of those moments because you know like the first time you you sit a lecture in the Sheldonian you know a debate in the Sheldonian theater or you know the first time you you sit for a lecture in the exam school or or um, just some of the kind of heavyweight names that you mm-hmm. you know when I when I'm sitting in a French creperie with Oz Guinness and kind of back and forth with him. I'm, you walk wow. away, you walk away from that and you're like, 
this is really happening. Like this is, you know, you look at the Radcliffe camera and you're like, I'm studying in here. Like what's, it does seem surreal. Um, but more so that it was just beautiful. I mean, so many, um, it was just, I mean, it was family was just, it's a fun time to see a family growing up anyway, but it was, um, yeah. Watching your kids play sports and, and all those kinds of things. We did all that stuff too. So, um, yeah, it's just a lot of adventure, man. Was there anything that was disappointing about it? Like you thought was going to be amazing and it was kind of underwhelming. Wow, that's a great question. Um, one I did not give you because, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would never want to. You know, this is a sad thing. Um, mm. I've never had anybody ask me that. Um, mm. I would say the, the most underwhelming thing was the exact same underwhelming thing that has occurred maybe, maybe four or five times in my life um, as a Christian. The first time I went to a Christian school, I would say disillusionments with Christianity. Yeah. Um, first time I went to a Christian school and I thought everybody that goes to a Christian school is there cause they're like all pumped up to yeah. be all about oh. God. turns out right. not, not so much. Right. Um, everybody working at a church is there because <laughs> it's just this passionate, like we want to yeah. serve God people. Yeah. Right. Not, not always so much. No. Um, okay. so it was one of those things where actually some of the, um, there was some folks in positions that, um, you know, that it was almost like they didn't trust my heart. Um, and they just had jobs to do and, you know, yeah. um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't get into too many specifics, but sadly it's people, it's actually Christian people that were always the, and there wasn't a lot of that, but just sort of, mm -hmm. there was that occasionally where it's like, you know, wait, I thought we were on the same team here, which mm -hmm. I will say this is one of the things that came out of that. Um, cause I've had a number of those experiences over the years, but right. one of the cool things about having those experiences in Oxford is it sort of. I ran out of places to take my questions. It's sort of like, all right, this is just what it is. And it actually broadened my, um, you know, when I talk about us all being on the same team, I used to really kind of keep that towards the Orthodox Christian family, you know, uh, whatever that might mean to different people. And um, I, I think somewhere in that process of digging into so many different world worldviews and, and uh, disciplines, um, I think my definition of the family that I was a part of just broadened far more into like human beings, like mm -hmm. the human, you know, just the humanness of people. And not that I set aside the, my convictions, but, but just that, I don't know, it just, some other walls that I didn't expect to fall down probably did fall down for me. And so it was good that came out of it. Mm -hmm. Well, the reason I asked that is not to put you in a challenging position, but, <laughs> but because I think, you know, it, it makes it more real, you know, like I, I've been to all kinds of incredible places in the world and sometimes, uh, you know, it's very overwhelming. Other, other times it's underwhelming, but the thing that, uh, almost always happens is I realize, Oh, I'm still me yeah, and I still have my problems. I still have my issues. I still have my brokenness. I can't run away from who I am and the beauty and splendor of a certain part of the world um, you know, doesn't overshadow some deeper yearning or thing that I'm, you know, looking for. Yeah. And, and that can be disappointing, uh, but it can also, uh, I think be, you know, empowering. And it, there's a, there's a freedom in that where you realize it's not just a place that I'm longing for. It's, there's yeah. some, you know, it's a spiritual transformation. There's something deeper that I, I need to happen. Yeah. And I would say I had an advantage in that way in that, um, in the time leading up to us going, mm 
um, Jody and I had been, I mean, we were, we had come out of like the darkest places of our lives, you know? And so we had already begun to set aside things that weren't worth holding on to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we showed up, we were actually on an adventure. I mean, our, okay. our entire life moving forward has really been this like open handed, you know, God, what's next? Like, who is the person I'm going to meet today? Um, mm-hmm. you know, even, even starting tribe riders things with you, it was like, I kind of felt like God was saying, I kind of want you to do this stuff. And I'm like, well, are you sure this is the right time? Mm -hmm. You know what? I don't know why, but it seems this is right. And it's been totally, it's, it was never exactly what I thought it would be, but it's profoundly been the right thing. And, um, yeah, so that part of being in Oxford, we actually had the freedom to, to enjoy it. Um, maybe more than others might have. Um, I mean, I, I am the reason I responded to that observation of yours is that I really am a different person because of my time there. Um, it profoundly uh, changed our lives and, and I've been able to visit once since and totally expect to go back as soon as possible. And um, because we still have friends there, we, we have a deep love for, for that area. And it is beautiful. If anybody ever goes to, to the UK, do yourself a favor and spend a day or two uh, in Oxford. So, yeah, cool. It's an incredible story. Uh, uh, Next time, um, I make my way uh, over the pond. Um, I want to head there, and maybe yeah. you can ser- serve as my guide and oh, yeah. tell me where to go. Oh yeah. Um. It, well, this is your your show. I just sort of commandeered it for an episode. <laughs> is there anything else from this story that you wanted to share that you didn't get to share? Well, the only other thing I wanted to touch on, just real briefly, and I and I won't spend very long on, but just so after that time in Oxford, the thing that we came back here. And it was sort of like, God, what's next for us? You know, do I do I go back in sort of an institutional, you know, professional religious person kind of thing? Um, do we step away from that and just do business or something? Um, and it really, what we really felt conviction about was that um, what God had put into us was this deep desire to create space for other people that have questions about God and faith and life that that just wanted to talk about things that wanted to say, ask the questions that maybe they were concerned. We're going to make other people think they weren't good Christians or that, you know, maybe somebody's a Buddhist and they're like, well, you don't want to talk to me because well, Buddhists mm-hmm. are probably nicer than that, but you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, you know, like there's all kinds of issues with Islam sure. and, and yeah. um, Muslims and, mm-hmm. and, you know, I just, I had so many deep thoughts and I'd create space. And I really felt like God had given us some stuff to, to help people, to help coach them through that stuff. And so, um, and so that's what we do now. I mean, it's sort of, we, um, we train people in year long things, but we, and because we do have, you know, materials and resources that we can help guide people through, um, like how, you know, dealing with other worldviews and, and not with fear. Cause we have this thing, you know, in, in the scriptures, it talks about that perfect love casts out fear. Um, but we also, I have a deep conviction. I think the opposite is also true that, that perfect fear casts out love. And it's very difficult to love anything that you're afraid of, whether it be a person, mm-hmm. an idea, right. a question. And so, um, you know, there's there's certainly conversations to be had. There's big T truth. That's one of the cool things about Oxford. Like, does my worldview hold up to, to scrutiny? Um, but in the end, like we, when we talk about issues of suffering, like right now, you know, in Syria, um, you know, it was one of the reasons why I went to Jordan a couple years ago is like, God is is your story actually good news for for someone um, a refugee coming out of a of a awful war situation um, so bad they don't even want to be in the refugee camp and and you sit in a in a tent there um, 
with a Syrian that's, you know, survived off of weeds out of the ground for a year and watched a number of their family members be killed in front of them. And you just, and I just said, is this good news or isn't it? And I was really shocked to see that it was. In fact, it felt like better news in the hardest situations this world has to offer than it has quite often in suburbia, which uh, where people aren't really talking about their questions very much. We just sort of uh, get a nicer house and a newer car that numbs it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. And so that's what this is about too. I mean, with the podcast, even I appreciate you doing this. I mean, this is, I hope that people will find this a place that where they get to hear other people's stories, you know, just different people's faith journeys. Um, Sometimes it'll make sense to people. Sometimes it won't. But I think that they'll begin to hear threads of what God is like coming through in all these people's faith journey. And, and um, I hope it creates them. Um, I think people are made for freedom. I really do. So I'm not, I don't feel this pressure to convert people anymore or anything like that. I just think that all human beings were made for freedom and we're all better off when we live that way. And so anything I can do to help coach people along or, or empower them to live uh, more freely, it's uh it's it's pretty exciting for us so yeah well i love that you're doing it thanks for letting me be a part of it and uh i agree i hope this was um helpful conversation for folks and i appreciate you sharing this incredible story i think this gives uh your listeners context of where you're coming from and um i love i love that you went to oxford you know the the place that you said where like all of your questions could be answered (laughs) And you left going, oh, not all of my questions are answered. And I think there's yeah. something there. Can, there can be something, you know, of course, really frustrating about that. But um, also really, uh, um, uh, again, you know, I think it can be uh, empowering. There can be a release to that. Maybe maybe the goal of every question is to not necessarily be answered, you know, to, to, to make it Oxford appropriate. We could quote. Yeah. Tolkien, where he says, not all who wander are lost. And I think the same thing is true about those like yourself who are asking questions. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I mean, for us, we say it's not always about getting the perfect answer, but it is about how learning how to engage the questions, learning to appreciate the mystery of life and the beauty of life that's all around you, even when it changes your perspective of what you're actually trying to figure out. Do you think you're going to understand everything? No, but... But um, as we hold open hands, it, it really does get better. And you talk about Tolkien. My, that's a story for another day. But, yeah, my kids actually skipped school one day hiding their school uniforms at Tolkien's grave at the end of our street. And um, then kind of, oh. yeah, so there's there's funny stories. I think Luke might have had his retainer case resting on Tolkien's grave for a day. While they, <laughs> while they, there's not many people that can say they did that. So No, no probably very, very few. <laughs> Sorry, Luke, if he hears this. <laughs> Jeff, thanks so much, man. Thanks. Yeah. I really appreciate you helping out here. And uh, and like I said, hopefully we get a chance to hear some more of your story down the line here shortly. And um, and if anybody does not know Jeff's work, uh, the art of <laughs> the art of work is a great book. Um, you got another book that's going to be not too far in the future. I hope that's yeah. I hope you finished. Is it titled yet? Uh, title coming soon. Okay, before that. But check out his work. Check out tribewriters.com. Jeff Ergoin's writer. Um, we'll put that stuff in the show notes, but definitely check out Jeff's stuff. Jeff, you're a champ. Thanks for Thanks, having man. me. Thanks, man. You too. Yep. Pleasure.